0: Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. It's so good to be with you for worship this morning. I am um, just, um, again, overwhelmed. Thank you, Debbie, for leading us in worship, and thank you, Robbie. Um, it's such a blessing to be at a church with so much talent in so many ways, including music, and uh, I'm just so thankful that we get to experience all of those realms in so many different styles and different ways. Uh, thank you guys for serving like you do. I hope that you are uh, ready for today. Uh, We've been in a series called Presence. It's a series that's bringing us around to remember to take every moment captive as we get closer to the remembering time of Jesus' arrival 2,000 years ago. Uh, As we celebrate Advent, we know that it's not just about what happened 2,000 years ago, but it's about... Uh, all the years prior to that, that before the foundation of the world, God had set forth that he would bring us into his faith family, that we would be ushered in as brothers and sisters in Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, and that he's Taking Jesus on to prepare a place for us, and one day He's coming back, and that's the second half of this Advent we celebrate. Uh, as we're looking together in the Scriptures over these few weeks leading up to Christmas, uh, we have been talking about last week Christ with us, Emmanuel, God with us. What that means for us is God has pursued us through the ages, and this week we're carrying it a step further—not just God with us, but God in us. As we look in Galatians chapter two, so if you'd open your Bibles. To Galatians chapter 2 to be with us. Uh, I'm going to read this one verse. Um, you guys know my, my preference is to be in a, a group of verses, but I really felt as I was praying through this and working through this week's uh, time in the Word that we were going to focus on one verse. In fact, I kind of fought against it, just if you want to know, because it's one that I would just normally go to. It's one that has been uh, a part of who I am from the very beginning of my coming to faith. And uh, it's one that I live in. I quote it all the time. You guys have heard it over and over again. It's one that you may not think about Christmas too much with. When you uh, hear this verse, it doesn't really ring Christmas songs in your ears. But as we've talked about over and over again, the Christmas story is the, is the whole story of salvation and redemption that we find in Christ. And so this is definitely a good text to be in. I'm going to read it for us. Then I'm going to pray for us and ask God to lead us through our time, and then we'll begin to unpack our time together. So let's look at Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Pray with me. Father, you are the only one who can illumine our minds to understand what you want us to know and hear today. You're the only one that can can move us toward change, that we might rightly respond to who you are, to what you've done, to what you've promised to do, and to what you're doing in our lives right this very moment. So Lord, we pray that you would be here in a heavy and real glorious way that you would work in us to change us, that we might rightly reflect your goodness, your glory, and Father, that we might just image your Son, Jesus. Lord, we need you. Would you work in us as you have sent your Son to dwell in us by your Spirit, and we ask that in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read this again, we're going to kind of unpack it, remembering that this whole series is about presence, it's about getting our minds, our hearts wrapped around the idea that we are to always be aware of God's desire since before the foundation of the world, before he ever created anything, his desire is to have us with him in relationship. And in the very beginning we saw that with Adam and Eve, our ancestors in the garden, and that things were good, and they were used to him walking in the garden with him, spending time with him. And we see that not very long into our story, as it's been delivered to us, we see that they fell into rebellion against God, that they sinned against Him, and that they were then pushed out of the garden because God, being a holy God, could not be in a good relationship with those in rebellion with Him. And so, therefore, we see picking up right after that, even prophesying in the moments where we saw the fall of man, we see God then begin to pursue His people that He created to have fellowship with us. And then He did that through a series of events as time went on, first in the tabernacle, then in the temple, as his presence was with his people, yet still separated, that they could not go into his full presence because they would not survive it. And then we see 2,000 years ago what we celebrate as Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, become fully man, and coming to be with us. We're no longer where we separated from God through the Holy of Holies, that we could not see him or be in his presence. We, they could touch and see and listen to and experience life with God himself in their presence. And then after he lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we deserve, he rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, and hell. He then goes to prepare a place for us and promises to send a helper, what he calls the comforter. And to send that helper to live within us, fulfilling what we saw in Ezekiel 36, uh, seeing what we saw in Ezekiel 37 as well, that he said he he would put a new spirit within us. And he would fulfill what he said from the very beginning all the way up to what we see will happen in the end, that he will be our God, we will be his people, and he will walk among us. And that he has the spirit of God dwelling in all of us who are believers in Christ even now. So if you put your hope and faith in Jesus if you have repented of sin and believed on the Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you trust in his work on the cross, wiping away your sins so that you might be in fellowship with God, in relationship. Again, this whole book, everything about the scriptures, everything about the story, everything is about relationship being restored between God the Creator and his creation through the atoning work of his Son applied to us by his Holy Spirit. If you have repented and believed of your sin and believed in that, gospel message, then you now have God not only with you, but God in you. Now, this is a miraculous thing that we will not be able to unpack in its fullness. It will not, We do not have the time now. It would take us a long time and many times together to go through all the ramifications of union with Christ, but we will unpack a little bit of it here, right here in Galatians. And just for the background, Paul is talking to the church at Galatia about the law He's talking about how they have been moved away from the original gospel that they came to faith through, that they are now being led by false teachers who are leading them to put their hope in appeasing God by living out the law. And he is saying, you've been freed from the law. You do not have to do that to earn God's favor. Jesus earned all of God's favor on the cross. And now he is bringing to a point here, right in the middle of a bunch of verses, I hate to do this without getting into the rest, but I feel like I must today. So your job, homework, is to go back and read all the verses surrounding this, all this, this whole book, if you would, to make sure that what I'm saying is true. If not, jettison it. Don't worry about it. If it is, you have to decide what you're going to do about what God's telling you today. So let's read it again, and let's begin to unpack this. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says, under the leading of the Holy Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church of Galatia, but also applied for us, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. There's that with again, like we talked about all last week. With Christ, I have been crucified. He says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Going from the with to in. Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I I don't know if you noticed it, but go back and look with me real quick one more time through this verse. I want you to count the number of first-person pronouns. So for those that have forgotten eighth-grade English, I want you to remember the I's and the me's. Okay, I want you to count those. So uh, I think here's the thing before we get going. The Bible is very clear that all the things in here and all the things in this world are ultimately not for or about us. It's for God's glory, and it's about Him. But we are involved in this conversation, in the workings. We're a part of the story, and He loves us, but it's more about Him than it is about us. So it's almost strange to see how Paul is talking about that, yet he's using so many first-person pronouns. Look at this. Look, I I have been crucified with Christ It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In one verse, we see seven times that Paul is articulating some type of reference to self. Now, this shouldn't really surprise us, right? Because we're all steeped in thinking of self. We see things from our perspective as how we relate to it. It's a natural thing. In fact, it's becoming more and more natural in a negative way since the fall for us. We all live in a world where everybody's talking about me, 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 and those who are not, even a lot of the time, are still about me, me, me. We live in a world where we've even been told that's okay, right? You can have it your way. We've been told that you can have it however you want it, that it's all about making sure you're taken care of. I mean, even when you ride in an airplane, they tell you to take care of yourself first out of necessity before you put the mask on someone else if you lose cabin pressure, right? It's still about you first. And that's a good, healthy reason to say that. It's a good time to do it. But I think we are fraught with an insatiable urge and desire to see everything from a man-centered perspective. In fact, I would even say that our focus on self is simply a byproduct of the sin that plagues each of our souls that we are focused on us, and that everything draws back to a me thing instead of pushing out to the one who deserves credit and glory and who deserves our thoughts to be laid upon. So we are all about this. You see it everywhere. I see it every time that I'm around my kids, right? They fight over what's theirs, mine, 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 all the time, even if it's just trash like a box. They fight over it. I had it first. No, I had it second, but I'm the one that decorated it. It's mine, mine, mine. We all have this. It's innate within us. We see it all through Disney movies when you get all the birds flying in. And uh, what's the name of the movie? Uh, you see, you know. See? Find Nemo. And the birds are flying in, going, mine, 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 mine. And it's so funny in that scene because we know that, like, that's us, you know? That's who we are. In fact, it's so rampant. We don't even usually think about it being negative. We just kind of overlook it in people that are extra that. Um, some of you might remember a song that uh, came out about 15, 20 years ago, maybe a little longer. Um, forgive me, Robbie, if I get that date wrong on this. But uh, this, it's a chorus kind of song more than it is a hymn. Jesus, lover of my soul. You remember that song? There are several versions. Let me tell you the one. Here's how it goes. It says, it's all about you, Jesus. And all this is for you, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me, as if you should do things my way. You alone are God, and I surrender to your ways. Now, can I be confessional with you? Yes? yes? Okay, thank you, Debbie. I'm going to be confessional. Uh, in seminary, we're a bunch of geek nerd guys that are reading scripture and studying theology all the time. Okay, that's what we do. Right, Robbie? Yeah? And uh, he doesn't want to admit it, but it's true. Um this is what happens. We get there and we make fun of people using things like this. So what I would do in a moment where I was hanging out with some of my friends and somebody was talking a lot about self or they wanted to do it their way. Nobody wanted to go watch that movie. That's the movie they wanted to see. Nobody wants to go to that restaurant, but that's what they want. They're making a big deal about it. I would sing this song to them, right? It's all about you, Jimmy, for your glory and your fame. It's not about me. You know I'm talking about. That's what you do. Do you do the same things, right? You do that in your head at least. Some of you, some of you, song in your head to things. We make it. We make it about us all the time, and we laugh about it because it's so natural. But really, it's the antithesis of what we're created for. We're created to image the glory of Christ. We're created to image God's glory back to him, to reflect it. That's what it means to be made in his image, to reflect his goodness, his glory, his holiness back to him and to the world around us. And instead, we're constantly pushing out our glory, which is way diminished in value comparatively, right? That's what we do. Galatians 2.20 tries to set this right. Listen to Paul again. He says, I have been, and this is the guy, right, that, that was the top of the top in his class. He was the guy that everybody wanted to be like. He was an up-and-coming leader. In fact, when you see in the book of Acts where Stephen is about to get stoned, everybody takes their jackets off before they stone Stephen, and they lay them at the foot of Saul, who is now Paul as he becomes a believer. This guy was top of the world in all things Jewish, all things Israel. And he says here, after meeting Jesus, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. At a time in Christmas where we are so concerned about making sure we get everybody a gift, making sure we get everybody a card with our pictures on it so that nobody misses out, we don't miss anybody, making sure that all the people in our family are happy that we're going to all the parties and we time them all out so everybody gets their thing, even to the point of like exhaustion, right? When we're so concerned about making sure we don't miss out on saying the right thing to the right person at the right time, all the I's dotted, all the T's crossed, all that stuff, we get so focused on serving everybody else so we don't get in trouble or so that we can be the best we can be and that people don't think of us as not the best in whatever we're trying to do, that we actually get so focused on all that that we miss out on giving the focus and the glory and the honor to the one who deserves it most, who is God himself. And what Paul says that helps bring this back into focus is, I have been crucified with Christ. So, What does he even mean by that? I'll put it to you in a lingo that's kind of been wrapping in my head for a while. i put it real simple because I'm a simple guy in that way. It's no longer me, 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 but it's Christ who lives in me. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about how you could go about this with doing some breath prayers, which is kind of old language, ancient language, for saying how you can remember God's presence with you and now in you by focusing on one verse for a whole week or one passage for a whole week where you take a phrase And you keep it in context, and you just kind of pray that out to the Lord. Like, just saying to the Lord, in whatever moment you have during the day, Lord, I've been crucified with Christ. Like, man, this person's really getting on my nerves. I'm going to let them have it. But, Lord, I've been crucified. It's no longer I who live. Or when I'm feeling down and hurt. But I've I've been crucified, Lord. It's not about me. Right? Praying out to the Lord. These breath prayers to be reminded. I think we need to be it a lot deeper, though. What does it mean to actually be crucified with Christ? I'm going to give you a few of these things. I'm not sure that all of them will connect. I'm not sure that we can cover all of them. I know we can't. So here's what I think are some of the things that it means when we say we've been crucified with Christ. First, when you've been crucified with Christ, you're saying your desires, apart from God's desires, your desires that are other than his desires, those have been crucified on the cross with Jesus. You're dead, no longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. You're saying those desires, apart from his desires for your life, have been crucified. The dreams that were never made, that were made apart from your relationship with God, don't matter anymore, you're dead. Right? All the things you wished you had done, you still hope you will do, if they're not God's desires for you, it doesn't matter because you're dead. It doesn't matter anymore. You've been, those have been crucified. I have been crucified. Those things I wanted apart from God, gone. A deeper level, my desires for sin... We're slaughtered on the cross with Jesus. Is that true? I think we struggle with them still, right? So it's not totally true, but that's where we should be leading. That's where we should be leaning into the Lord. How about my worries and my concerns that once consumed me, they've been crucified. It's no longer I who live. You don't have worries and concerns when you're dead, right? Crucified. Or maybe what others will think of me. You know, what What others think of me when I do this, when I don't do that? No, the question now is, what does God think of me? Does he see me as crucified? There's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me? Well, what about what others want me to do? No, you're dead. They don't want you to do anything It's more important than what does God want you to do. How does that change our views? How does that change how we live if we're crucified? What about, what if I'm not able to do this or that? I would say, no, Christ is able in and through me to accomplish His will, not my will apart from Him. It doesn't mean that you can do everything. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful in everything you do because Christ can do it. He can do those things. He doesn't promise that you will succeed in all things. He doesn't promise that He will overcome all adversity. He doesn't promise He will get you out of all suffering right now. He promises that in the end He'll do all those things. He takes you to glory and there is no more suffering. There is no more adversity. There is no more... Joy kills. There is no more pain. There is no more crying or mourning. And there's only joy. What if I make a wrong choice? Some of us are plagued with the problem of having to make a choice because we might make the wrong choice. No. it's Pretty clear in Scripture, if you choose to love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, all your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself... All the law and the prophets hang on that. That means that if you do those things, you're not going to make a bad choice. So if it comes down to it and you have to just pick one on the fly, if one of them does that, then do it. Right? God's handled the rest. It's no longer me, 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 but Christ who lives in me. Look at it again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Look, in our death with Christ, many people hear that and they think, that's horrible, I don't want to die. We don't get it right. See, the problem is that we have been looking all of our lives for freedom and forgiveness for things that we've done, freedom from things that have plagued us. We've been searching all over the place for it. We've tried to drown it in a bottle. We've tried to to find it in working harder. We've tried to find it in our 401Ks. We try to find it in our homes. We try to find it in our kids. We try to find the better life in our kids, you know, scoring more touchdowns than we ever could. We try to find it in our family loving us more than we deserve because we know we don't deserve that much anyway because we know somewhere inside we're not okay. We're looking for all these things. But you see, the place you find the forgiveness and the freedom is in the place that doesn't make sense to the world but it makes perfect sense in the idea of eternity because you find it in your own death and having Christ live in you. You The death that Paul's talking about is, is, is our death to self apart from God. It's death so that we can be with God fully and dying to self and all the things that pull us away from God. I have been crucified with Christ, with him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So what are some of these freedoms I'm talking about? Let me get into the minutia a little bit, right? How about this one? Freedom from the shame of your past. Some of you hold so much on to the past, you don't recognize you're not believing the gospel by holding on to it. The things that were done to you, the things that you've done, the things that that happened years ago, things that happen today, that you hold on to the shame of that and you hold it so tight. Let me give you Psalm 118, 5 and on. Out of my distress, the psalmist says, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? How about freedom from the guilt of your sin? Not just the shame, but the guilt that comes along with your actions or someone's sin against you, even. And you carry guilt, even that you shouldn't have on you, but you do anyway. Psalm 103, 10 and on. He does not deal with us according to our sins. You know why not? Because Jesus was crucified on the cross and all of our sins were laid upon his shoulders. So when he looks at you and me, he doesn't see a sinner anymore, he sees the righteousness of Christ. His righteousness conveyed upon us legally so that when the Father looks at us, He no longer sees rebellious people. He sees those who have bought in, those who have repented of sin and believed on Jesus. He sees you as as righteous and pure and glorious as His Son. So therefore, this is true when He says He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. He should, but He doesn't because He put Him on His Son. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Brothers and sisters, in your death you find freedom from shame, freedom from guilt of sin, guilt of failure, because Jesus did not fail. Because Jesus bore your shame on the cross. Because he dealt with all of our sin on the cross. And he didn't just drink it down and die. He rose in victory over those things. There are no more in the eyes of the Lord for those who have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you or me or me or me or me. But it's Christ who lives in me. It's Christ who lives in you. How about freedom from the fear of future failure some of us are so worried about what's going to happen when you cannot control one single moment how about the fear of rejection you can find freedom from that too listen first peter 2 4 as you come to him so as you come to the lord being crucified with him as you come to the lord a living stone. He is a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Let me, let me tell you right now. If you are in Christ, if you have been bought with the precious blood of Christ, you are now brothers and sisters with Jesus. And when God sees you, he doesn't see a vile worm. He sees one who has been bought by the blood of Christ, who is now as beautiful to him as his own son. As precious. That sounds heretical, but it is what the scriptures dictate for us. He he looks upon us and sees the glorious righteousness of Christ. And he treats us as children according to the work and sacrifice of our older brother Jesus. He also brings freedom from the fear of losing self. Some of us are so afraid we'll be overlooked or that people will forget about us. But in Christ, you will actually find your true self. You you see, you were never meant to live out of relationship with God. You were never meant to be apart from him. You, You were never meant to be out of relationship. And so, therefore, he sent his one and only son to come and get you and to bring you home. That's Christmas. When you're alone in those moments and you feel like nobody understands, he does. You feel like you're losing self. You're not lost. He sent the shepherd to find you and bring you back because he loves you that much. And he gave his life for you to make sure it happened. The true self, you were always meant to be free in Christ as you die to self on the cross with Jesus. So he can live in you. How about the freedom from the fear of being known? Some of you are so worried that if you confess a struggle, confess a sin, that you'll be ostracized. That people will never look at you the same. That people will not accept you into their circles anymore. And you know what? That might be true. But I can tell you that the one who knows every single thing about you still loves you so much that he sent Jesus to bring you back. And He wants you. And when you lean into him, and you let known your struggles, and you let known your difficulties, you let known your sin, that's when they see Christ in you because they see what God can do even with you. Some have said to me the things that I've talked about up here before, especially back in my time where I preached through David and Goliath, and I talked about how I needed a Savior, I couldn't be the hero, and I talked about all the things I've done, and I laid them all out. And some said, Man, that's a lot of braveness you have up there. You were so brave to say those things. And I have nothing to offer. Nothing to offer except Jesus, a broken man. It's not being brave, it's just telling the truth, right? I didn't ask my wife if I could do this, but I'll tell you that when we first started working together before we started dating and got married. Um, She led on to me later on that at first she thought that in my own life that I was kind of trivializing my own sin in the past and my lifestyle before meeting Jesus and all the things that had happened. And uh, she thought I was kind of flippant about those things until later on she voiced to me that she thought she realized I wasn't flippant, I had found freedom. You can have freedom today. Do not hold those things as if you own them. Jesus bought that on the cross too. Turn yourself over to the Lord. Put your hope in the King who died for you because he loved you that much. Let go of the things you hold on yourself and fall into the full grace of Jesus Christ who gave himself on the cross so that he could just simply be with you and live in you. Freedom from the fear of death, gone. You're already dead. You're crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ that lives in you. he goes on, he says, In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Not just by having enough faith. He lives by faith in the Son of God. Not in self, not in my own abilities. In the Son of God. What does that matter? It, It matters because... He loved me and gave himself up for me. In other words, he loved me, he loved you to the point of death, even death on the cross, for you. Not just that he died as a man on a cross, but that he died under the full weight and wrath of God that was supposed to be poured out on all of us for all of eternity. He'd take all that, he took all that down on himself, all at one time on the cross until it killed him, and then he still rose up in victory over it. But he endured all of that, So that you could be his. So when he says, when Paul says that the life he now lives in the flesh, he lives by faith in the Son of God. What he means is that Christ in us means we now live by a new maxim in our lives. It's not I've got to be successful enough for people to like me. It's not that I've got to earn my way with family by doing all the right things. It's not that I have to have my house in order. It's not that I have to have a lot of income. It's not that I have to have the biggest retirement or the biggest boat or the biggest car or the the greatest suits or the greatest whatever it is. We now live by a new maxim, and that new maxim is that we now live by faith in the Son of God. We no longer live by sight. That plays into our lives. We no longer live by hearing. That's a part of it. We no longer live by intellect and our own wisdom, even though that's a part of what we do. We live by faith. It flies in the face of everything else. We live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. That means you don't make decisions in your life based mainly on your intellect. If you have something coming at you that is a trial or a challenge, if all you do is think through the answer to that and make a decision and move forward, you're excising God from the process, which means you are turning away from the relationship instead of turning into it. And that's the antithesis of everything we're created to do and be. It's about knowing Him and being with Him. I will be your God. You'll be my people. I'll walk among you forever. And so intellect alone cannot drive us. Sight alone cannot drive us. Auditory, auditory understandings cannot drive us. Faith must drive us. Listen, you don't have to be frozen by indecision anymore. You, you, you don't have to wonder, and this is what a lot of people will talk about all the time, I hear it often. You don't have to wonder what God's plan is for your life. It's way simpler than you think. One of my favorite preachers, Francis Chan, he, he's got a quote that applies here. He says, I think a lot of us need to forget about God's will for my life. God cares more about our response to his Spirit's leading today in this moment than about what we intend to do next year. In fact, the decisions we make next year will be profoundly affected by the degree to which we submit to the Spirit right now in today's decisions. If we would just submit to the Lord each and every moment of the day, there's no worry about what tomorrow brings. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be given to you. In fact, to put it back to what I mentioned earlier, Matthew 22, 35 through 40, when the lawyer said to him, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. The Hebrew would just say, love the Lord your God, Right? This is the great and first commandment. and The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That means if we would just love God with everything, above all things, and if we would just love our neighbor, it means anybody around you, family or not, in your vicinity, if you just love them like you love yourself, Everything would be a lot simpler. We'd live out the whole law. We don't have to earn anything. These Galatians would just quit worrying about living out the law to the T and the jot and the tittle and just actually love God the way he's loved us in Christ and then love others the same way all this stuff would take care of itself. A good question would be, which path might I take that would give the most glory and honor to the Lord in the decision-making process? I think of it like this. What if one of you in here says, my marriage is really bad right now. It's really struggling, and I just don't know what to do. Or my job is terrible. I hate it. I'm not sure if I should stay there, if I should go, if I need to go tell the boss what I think. Or maybe my kids have gone off the rails, and I have no idea what to do to bring them back to the Lord or bring them back to To sanity. Those are all real things that we struggle with. What do we do in those situations? I'm going to give you four things that you can do in those situations. I'm going to give you four things, and it starts off with one we've already been talking about over and over and over again. And the first one is simply seek the face of God, first and foremost. Seek the Lord above all else. Everything in this Bible, everything since before the foundation of the world has been about relationship. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. For what? To adopt you as sons and daughters, is what Ephesians 1 tells us. Not just chose you to live on the land, but to be in his family. It's about relationship, the whole thing, right? If that's the case, what happens when a A calamity comes, it's not because our sovereign God missed it and just all of a sudden you got slammed with something he didn't see coming. It's because he's allowed that thing to enter your life so that you might draw into him. Everything in our life is meant to draw us into relationship with God. You may not like the way that sounds on the front end, but if he is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-sovereign, then everything is meant to draw us into relationship with him. That's his end goal. We love him, know him, and, and bring him glory because that's what's best for us, for our joy, for us to understand love, to receive love, all those things. So if we have a problem, approach us, we need to seek the Lord first above all else. If you figure out the answer in your own mind and take action without seeking out the Lord first, we've missed the whole point. Proverbs 3, 5 through 8. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not, listen, do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. You hear that? Intellect. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. Remember definition of good and evil? Good is whatever draws you into the Lord, relationally. And evil is whatever draws you away from the Lord. It's way more than just our morality that we live in here. So be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. In other words, when, that, when something comes at you, trust in the Lord. Seek the Lord. Don't lean in your own understanding, lean on the Lord. And that will be refreshing to you. It will satisfy. So the good question to ask is, which path would bring more glory and honor to the Lord and draw my heart to Him? That's a good place to start with making that decision. Secondly, you seek answers in the word, not because you're just flipping around to find out what he says about this, oh, good, do that thing. That totally negates him again. You seek to know the Lord by understanding who he is from his own self-revelation to us. And the more you know him, the more you know how to seek his face and live in his presence and understand how he's living in you. But remember, when you do that, remember these two words, text and context, Whatever text you look at, like Galatians 2.20, if you take it all out by itself and don't understand the context of what it's written in, you might misuse that scripture, which means you might not be leaning into the Lord. You might be leaning into a God you've made up on your own. So it's very important that you keep things in context. Study the things around it. Make sure you understand really what it's saying. Seek the Lord above all things. Know him through the word in order to do that. Sometimes the answers are revealed right there. And then, look, seek wise counsel through other people that love Jesus more than you. Find people that seem to be, the Bible says, walking in the Spirit. That seem to be in tune with the Lord. That that, that Scripture comes off their lips. A lot of people know the Bible, but who seems to be walking like Jesus? Seek those out. That's why it's so important for us to be in a small group where we can... Be living life where we can be honest about what our struggles are, what our sins are, and have others speak into us because they love us and want us to see us grow closer to the Lord. So seeking the Lord above all else, seeking answers in his words. We get to know him through his word, seeking wise counsel from those that are you know closer to the Lord than we are. And then I'm gonna give you this one as short as I can. Pray, and as you pray, you fast. You're praying through this whole process, you seek the Lord fasting. So me think that's crazy. If Jesus fasted 40 days going into the wilderness, right there, and he was tempted, one of the temptations, remember, was the devil saying, turn these stones into bread so that you might eat. And he, what did he say? Do you remember? Yeah. Man does not live on bread alone, but by every word. that comes from the Father, right? By the word of the Father. Look, when you have a struggle and you're like, man, I can't figure out which thing to do, I don't know which, they're all good choices and you really want to know because you want to do what God wants you to do. Not so you pick the right choice. You want to do whatever God wants you to do. Then go without something for a little while and say, Lord, every time you're reminded that you want that thing, pray more. and Say, Lord, I'm going to lay out all these things. I kind of want this. I kind of want it to be here. I I kind of want to do this. I'm going to give that all to you and I'm going to lay that all at your feet. And then you pray and you seek out to give all those things to the Lord and say, but really, Lord, what I want is you. And when you feel like you finally laid all those things out before him and said they are yours, now just give me what you want. Sometimes he doesn't answer. That is an answer. Just wait. And sometimes he makes it so crystal clear that you feel like if you take a step one side or the other, you're going to throw up. Right? You just know what the right thing is to do because the Lord communicates to your spirit as the spirit speaks for you and to you through the word, through those around you in counsel, and as you seek him in prayer. Look, if we are living this out this Christmas, it will change how we live. When you have been crucified with Christ, it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loves you and gave himself up for you. You will not be doing things that are for you alone. You'll be doing whatever is greatest for the Lord's glory and goodness and reputation. It will change how you live. And why should we do that? Why would you want to be crucified with Christ? Because he loves you so much that he died for you so you can trust him. He loves you so much that he gave his life up for you. Why would he steer you wrong now? Why would he go through all that just so he could turn the tables on you? He wants the very best for you. That's why he died for you. He died so that you could have the very best, so that you could be brought into his family and live with him forever in all glorious joy that is overwhelming and inexpressible. Even as we heard read earlier, as we celebrate the coming before and the coming soon. And in your life, you will have struggles. You will have sufferings. It will not be easy. It wasn't easy for him either. But what we suffer here is nothing in comparison to what he suffered on the cross under the full wrath of God. The wrath that we should have suffered for all eternity. But because of him, we don't have to. He suffered for us. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction. Do you see how he says that? He acts like the suffering is nothing. Why? Because he puts it in context of eternity. Something that might feel not light, that might feel overwhelming, that might feel like you can't handle it. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are are transient or fleeting, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Lord, give us faith to walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, let us have sight and see. Let us have ears to hear. Let us have intellect to think, but lead us by faith as we trust in you, right? So it's no longer I who live, but Christ that lives in me. Surely I live, surely you live. You're still here, you're still beings that are breathing, but not as we did before God met us, before God saved us. Our purposes are not our own anymore. Our mission is not our own anymore. Our end goals are not our own anymore. We are free from having to figure it all out because he's already had it figured out from before the beginning. We need to lean into him. We're free from having to worry what we're going to do with our life. What will bring us the most joy? Many of us have spent years trying to figure out what will bring us the most joy. And a lot of those things have failed over and over and over again. Even the things that have promised so much. Our marriages can't bring you enough joy. Our children will never bring you enough joy. There will be difficult times. There will be times when you wonder why you did it. There will be times when you wonder how you're going to survive it. There are those things that will happen in your life. But in Christ, if you've been crucified, you're dead. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And the life you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for you because he loves you. Man, that's a purpose. That's a mission. That's freedom. So you and I have been crucified with Christ if you put your hope and trust in him. You died to the law so that you are now free from the law. You are free from having to earn any salvation. You don't have to do anything to make God happy with you. Nothing whatsoever. Jesus did it all on the cross. The worries of this life no longer control us. The fears of this life no longer bring dread to our hearts. Because what can they do to us? We're dead. Christ lives in us. That's our life now. And he's already defeated death. Death has no hold on us. Failure has no power over us. I am no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. So let us run from sin and run to the Savior. For he yearns for us to be with him and to be holy because he is holy. We no longer have to live in fear of falling short of the expectations that others put on us or the expectations we put on ourselves because we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer us that live, but Christ that lives in us. It's no longer me, 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 but it's Christ who lives in me. What freedom, what sweet joy to know that He has done all those things because He loved you and wanted you to be with Him. What a glorious Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. What a glorious brother, what a good King, what a worthy sacrifice to receive all glory, to receive all praise. Let us this Christmas remember Him Everywhere we go that He is with us, may God remind us continually that He is in us and that everything we do is a reflection of His goodness and grace and glory. That everywhere we go, we are now having the light that came into the world that cannot be overcome by the darkness. It lives in us and it is yearning to come out as we give Christ to others wherever we are. Let us be reminded that we are dead and it is Christ who lives in us for His glory. Because of his grace given to us in Jesus. Father, we need you above all things. Even now, Lord, we cannot walk in this truth. Even though we understand it cognitively in some ways, we we cannot live this out on our own day to day because we're not intended to on our own, Lord. So remind us that we are to lean into you, that we are to rely on you. That is the whole purpose, to be dependent upon you, for you are so good and kind, and your steadfast love and mercy are so great. Lord, thank you for sending us Jesus. Help us to take him wherever we might go, and that we might take every moment captive and be present in every moment, remembering you sent your Son to be with us and now live in us, that we might therefore See him work through us as we live out the gospel before others. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.